Hello, I'm Will Leach, and this is the People Still Read Books podcast. I told you we'd be back to a weekly basis. I don't actually have a guest for next week, actually. I was trying to get Patricia Lockwood, who is terrific. Her new book is amazing, by the way. But uh, she's got, I think, bigger fish to fry than this silly podcast, and who can blame her? But really, do get that book. It's great. Patricia Lockwood's new book. Anyway. But what, so, if you have any suggestions, by the way, for a guest next week, I've got a couple of guests lined up for weeks after, but I don't have one for next week. So, if you have any suggestions on someone who I should have, email me. Still read books. Is it what was the email address again? Is it people still read books? Is people still read books? That's what it is. People still read books at gmail.com. Follow us at still read books on Twitter, but email me. People still read books at gmail.com, or you can also just email me at williamfleach at yahoo.com. I'm the only person that checks both accounts. If you have a suggestion on a good person to have next week, I want to showcase someone maybe that uh, is not in the usual strike zone, and we've got an open spot next week. Anyway, hope you are all well. We are uh, 12 weeks away from the release of How Lucky, my novel that's coming out on May 11th, when we will all have vaccines, I have no doubt about that. Anyway, our guest this week, I am delighted to have someone I've been meaning to have on for a while because I love his book. I actually blurbed his book. It's the one book that's been blurbed by both me and Chuck D. The book is Stealing Home, Los Angeles, The Dodgers and the Lives Caught in Between by Eric Nussbaum. I know I've been trying to have fewer books about baseball. This is a kind of about baseball, but not really. It's really about the Kind of the construction of Dodger Stadium and, and the kind of the tearing down of Chavez Ravine and the history of what brought us to Dodger Stadium to live here uh, to exist today and kind of uh, speaks uh, poorly to the politics both of the time and uh, of today. Uh, it is a terrific book. Eric is a outstanding writer. Uh, he also has a newsletter that I would highly recommend you recommend uh, you subscribe to. It's called Sports Stories. Sportsstories.substack.com. It is excellent. Uh, there's a new one that came out today about uh, Efren Badareas, the greatest pool player ever. It is a terrific, terrific newsletter, but the book is even better. The book is Stealing Home, Los Angeles, The Dodgers, and the Lives Come Between. It's Eric Nussbaum is the author. I'm about to talk to him, but remember, follow us at Still Read Books and uh, email me, people still read books, if you have a good suggestion on someone to talk to this week because uh, we have an open spot next week. All right, be safe, and uh, here's Eric. I am delighted and frankly overdue. To have Eric Nussbaum, the author of Stealing Home, Los Angeles, The Dodgers, and The Lives Caught in Between. I prefer to think of it as the only book blurred by both me and Chuck D. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very proud to report that. For now, for now. Uh, Eric, thank you, for, thank you for coming on The Yammering with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for so, blurbing my book. Yeah, it's really good, uh, which would, would be a complete loss of my entire credibility if I hopped on here and said, you know, actually, now that I have you. Um, I have, I have some, I have some notes. Um, I love the book and I want to talk about, I said, we we know this podcast, I want to talk about the book, of course, uh, but then I also want to talk about kind of the process of it all. But I'm curious, you know, uh, the book itself, uh, it's been out for a a while now and I think it's gotten, I think the plot it's, it very much deserves, but you know, it, it, for me, I found myself thinking a lot more about your book and maybe you can, maybe I'll let you explain why this popped into my brain, uh, thinking so much more about your book. 
as we've seen Dodger Stadium, which of course is the focus and kind of the construction, not only the construction, but the kind of wipe, uh, the the land grab that led to to Dodger Stadium existing, to see Dodger Stadium used as a vaccination center, which and it's still not, first it was a testing center and now it's a va- vaccination center. Before really a lot of other stadiums uh, were doing this, and it feels like. I found myself thinking, wow, this is actually what this land was supposed to be used for in the in the very first place. I'm curious, talk a little bit about that of kind of like your experience seeing that and kind of how that relates to kind of the history of uh, of Chavez Ravine. Yeah. It's been a weird process since you know the book came out last March, March twenty fourth, and right at the beginning of the pandemic. And in that time, like it's obviously a book about baseball, Dodger Stadium, a lot of LA politics and history, we can get into that. But um, there's this big issue in the book about the land that becomes Dodger Stadium and, you know, what it should be used for. Uh, This kind of big public debate happening in L.A. in the 50s. Uh, And the big question is whether it should be used for a public purpose or a private purpose, being the Dodgers. And it's sort of ironic that now when the book comes out discussing these issues again, we see Dodger Stadium once again being used for a public purpose. Yeah, finally. <laughs> nothing, nothing against nothing against that notion. And, and I'm curious to me. There's so many great aspects to the book of the idea of uh, obviously like there, there's there is baseball in this, and you follow obviously obviously some 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 big players of the time. But really, it is a story about. Los Angeles, and you grew up in Los Angeles. And one of my favorite things about this is your main—not say your main characters, real human being—but uh, the main guy you're writing about is someone that you'd actually met years before you you ever worked on the book, right? Yeah. So his name was Frank Wilkinson, and he's fascinating. I would say I would, you know, it's funny. I always called them characters too, but they are real people. <laughs> yeah, I, know. Uh, I do. It's funny because I don't find it when I read like a news story. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting character they've created. But for a book, even when it's nonfiction, I do the same thing. But when you, because like when you're writing a, like a long narrative nonfiction book, which turns out I've only written one, so I can't say this with <laughs> a lot of authority. But like they become characters in a certain way, like. I don't know. I, I would dream about Frank Wilkinson and kind of his counterpart in the book, Abrana Arechiga. They like they like entered my life as characters almost. So Frank, Frank was an old man when I met him. Uh, I don't even, wouldn't even say met him when I saw him. He came to my high school history class in eleventh grade in L.A. This was like two thousand two, maybe three, and he was there to talk about being blacklisted. He had survived sort of the Red Scare and been ruined by McCarthyism and. He was there to share that story. We had a really great teacher, Miss McAvoy, who was really into showing us like kind of like the Howard Zinn side of U.S. history that wasn't taught in textbooks. So she brought in Frank Wilkinson to tell us the story about being blacklisted in L.A. in the 50s. And he kind of stunned us when he walked in and said, you know, who likes the Dodgers? And of course, being a huge nerd, I raised my hand and said, yeah, I love the Dodgers. Only call into the postgame show once a week. And he said Dodger Stadium should not exist. And that comment uh, basically paved the way for me to obsess over the story for a decade or longer, actually 15 years before I wrote the book. And so I'm curious, like, if someone like, like, had, did, you, did you know any of this history before? Like, I mean, you're in high school, so I don't, I didn't know anything in high school. It's shocking to me today to see the number of things that I for, totally taught to me wrong uh, in, in high school. I had no teachers like yours. We were in farm country, Illinois. Um, but I'm curious, like, when, uh, I mean, you're a Dodger fan, right? Have you been, you're, I mean, you're a fan of the team. Was, did you, had you, uh, had you thought about the experience? Like, wh- wh- how did you treat that area of town anyway? 
I mean, it was Dodger Stadium to me. Uh, I had not thought about this. I didn't know about it. It was new to me. I, um, yeah, I mean, this was, it was news when I, when Frank Wilkinson <laughs> said that, I'll put it that way. Uh, it kind of blew my mind. Like, and so the, the real like gist of the story, I can say it, I think I can do it pretty quickly. Oh, please. Take in, that. in the 1940s, the city of LA had a housing crisis after World War II. And there was this big movement towards public housing. Public housing was considered sort of this like great progressive thing. It was kind of utopian. Uh, and Frank Wilkinson was at the center of that. Uh, the city led by Frank and his boss, a guy named Howard Holzendorf, decided that these three neighborhoods in the hills northeast of downtown LA called Palo Verde, La Loma, and Bishop would be a great site for a kind of crown jewel public housing project. So they came into these neighborhoods and evicted, you know, about a thousand families to build this housing project. Uh, one of these families, the Arechigas, I also write about in my book, you know, they're kind of the heart and soul of the book, I think. Uh, basically, most of the families are kicked out, but before the housing project can actually get built, uh, it public housing becomes a wedge issue in LA politics. You know, land developers and kind of bad guy politicians start to use the Red Scare as a way to kill public housing and take over City Hall. Uh, Frank Wilkinson gets outed as a communist in court. His career and life are ruined. The housing project is ruined. You know, fast forward a few years, there's a few families straggling, hanging on, and the city turns and sells the land to Walter O'Malley, who brings the doctors from Brooklyn. That's the that's the very short version. Yeah. Yes. And, and of course, obviously, it's, it's detailed uh, considerably about all of these characters. And I'm curious that like, you know, one of the, I think the many, the, the driving thrusts of this, like you're, you're, you're a sports writer, you've read about sports for a long time. I've read about sports for a long time. And, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about the book is, is, and I, I find it interesting when people kind of confront this in their daily lives, the idea that like, like you love the Dodgers, like the Dodgers, like the, the, the Dodgers are, they just won the World Series. That's amazing. And all, and all, and like Dodger Stadium, like I, I've been, I always joke the Dodger Stadium always to me feels a little bit like a Bob Hope All-American special that he used to have on NBC. Like it seems to capture a very specific time uh, in kind of Los Angeles history. And I think Vince kind of represented that a little bit. And for me, when I go to Dodger Stadium, I, f I find myself not only enjoying the games there, but wistful. Like it seems to hearken me back to this to a time that I was actually not alive for, but hearken me back to a time of like when things were simpler and innocent. And one of the things that amazing things about your book is not just do you show how that's not true. You actually like kind of even get across how that sort of idea can be weaponized <laughs> in like this really sort of way. And I'm curious, did it, has it affected, has it affected the way you watch the Dodgers? Has it affected the way that you watch sports in general? When you see, Oh, like I go to this stadium and I now know how the sausage is made. Has it affected that at all? Um, I don't think the book specifically affected it more than like, you know, writing about sports for years and years and <laughs> right. becoming cynical and learning yes. how the world kind of works. Like, I think I came to this place where in order to really like love something for me personally, I have to be able to like dig into it and criticize it and think deeply about it. Uh, I can't just be like a surface level Dodger fan. Like it's too big a part of who I grew up to become. It's too big a part of like my warped sense of identity. I, I'm comfortable with like loving something and also knowing it's screwed up. Like I love, City of LA, it's screwed up. Um, 
and and that's okay. You can love something and also acknowledge that it's that it's broken in some places um, or or many. Like, in fact, I would say that if you're not willing to like confront problems with the things that you love, you're probably like choosing a life of ignorance a little bit. <laughs> that was harsh, but. I don't yeah, know. You're talking to a Cardinals fan. Like I have to confront this every yeah. time I go to a game, right? Like, and to me, I've seen this in. Obviously, I've seen this in Cardinal fandom. I mean, anytime anyone writes anything about the Cardinals online, this happens. I just I find myself being like, like, like I know there's something wrong. Not, not everyone is a Cardinal fan is bad, but I know there's something kind of rotten as a part of it. And pretending it's otherwise is not only lying to myself; it's actually de- de- degrading the thing that I actually claim to care about. That's way more eloquent than I was. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's true, and it's true for every fan base, and like not just sports, but sports are a really neat way to to think about these things because you get like the team on the field that you can root for, and then there's the owner, and like you can be mad at the owner for not signing good players, or you know, imagine a Rockies fan right now, furious about them trading right. Nolan Arenado, but still a Rockies fan. But then you're also mad about like your tax money going to build a new stadium for the owner who traded Nolan Arenado or whatever it is. <laughs> right. There's all these different, like very easily digestible layers to sports fandom. And I guess by the time I had started to write this book, I I had come to terms with my own thinking about this stuff. That said, writing the book, learning about these families and these communities that I wrote about, you know, I was really lucky to be welcomed into some really kind of personal places by by people. And understanding what was lost, not just to build Dodger Stadium, but to build the public housing project that never came to be, what was lost by the Wilkinson family, all these different people, it was moving and it gave me a new sense that, you know, all these decisions that get made on behalf of the sports team or on behalf of, you know, anything in politics, really, they have a deep personal impact that resonates for generations. And one of the things that's hard too, and I find myself this comes up a lot when I'm thinking of politics these days is it feels like, like reading your, like reading your book and, and again, it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a while since I've read, but like one of the things that really I found myself like gnawing at my center is you tell, tell this compelling story and you tell the story of these people. And I are a, I already know the ending of the book before I've started because there is Dodger stadium right there. And it's hard because I find myself wanting to be like, no, something, there's going to be something good that comes out of this, probably my personality in general. Like, I want something good to come out and realize not only does something not good come out, but they won. <laughs> and like, history does not, like, until you're, until I read this book, like, I had heard rumblings of this. I had not delved into it, obviously, as deeply as you had, but I had heard rumblings of this, uh, of kind of the history of Dodger Stadium. Until I read your book, I, I had not had that kind of right, righteous anger about some, some of the things that led to this. But it, in a certain way, I find myself feeling like, yeah, but you know what? The thing that I'm angry about, the people that I'm angry at and the reasons that they did that, they won. <laughs> and I feel like it's a hard thing to wrap my mind around sometimes. Yeah, you, I mean, you, it's, it's I mean, really... Yeah, yeah, go, do you see what I mean? Oh, go ahead. I do. No, no, and, and what's yeah. really frustrating for me, like, what I... There's this, like, easy narrative that you could do and say, like, the Dodgers did it and they're bad. But when I was looking at the history and writing the book, you realize it wasn't that. It was that the system is rigged and broken, and right. like this was an inevitable tragedy. Almost, you have, you know, well-intentioned people ruining the lives of, you know, innocent families for an ideal that is misguided. Probably, you know, at the very least, you know, public housing maybe not misguided as a concept, not at all. But like the idea of like wealthy white people coming into you know minority neighborhoods and saying this is how you should live extremely misguided, extremely racist, even if they wouldn't have known it at the time. 
And then you have the tragedy of those people getting railroaded by, you know, corrupt politicians, fake news, quote unquote, um, propaganda, fear mongering. And then you have the, you know, the sweet government handout to a private enterprise. I mean, it's just all these like things like stacking up on each other and everybody's complicit. And it, and it, it what's I think it was what's frustrating about it too is as I was kind of touching on earlier, I it's still like not only but, but never mind whether they won or not. Like Dodger Stadium is now not associated with any of those things for people that have not read your book. <laughs> like like some people know, and I think I like I think a certain people that have that kind of thoughtful thing. But on the whole, Dodger Stadium is Vin Scully and it's Kirk Gibson and it's all and it's all of these things. And there's something about that that it doesn't make me like enjoy the Dodgers less or enjoy going to Dodger stadium less, but certainly it, it's something that I have to say, I find both, uh, uh I have not been to Dodger stadium since I've read the book. No one has been to Dodger stadium since I've read the book, unless you've, uh, uh, in, unless you've gotten vaccinated or, or tested there, but I'm, but certainly it makes me, when I go to Dodger stadium, I will not be able to not think about your book. It, not only when I'm in the stadium, but when I'm in the areas around the stadium, I'm curious, have you been like, have you been to Dodger stadium? I, obviously there's been no game since your book, came out but since you wrote the book have you been to a game have you had these thoughts in your mind what was your experience specifically with dodger stadium in the area uh, but maybe after you've written this book or while you're writing it sure so while i was writing the book i lived in la i mean and I, we moved you know right between finishing the book and publishing the book we moved from la to tacoma washington so you know i spent a lot of time at dodger stadium when we lived there as a fan and also as a researcher you know driving around the hills walking around in the parking lots uh all of it and, you know, it's a place I spent a lot of time growing up. It's a place I, you know, feel like I have a strong connection to that, you know, obviously was only strengthened by the book. And I remember the first game I went to after really like doing my first heavy interview with a Palo Verde resident uh, about their life and what they lost and like sitting up in like the top deck of Dodger Stadium and being just like, shit, you know, yeah. this is this yeah. is different now. And even though I had already known about this, you know, I had been wanting to write this book for years like right. but then once you really hear the story and like become personally involved in it it changes um i actually have been to dodger stadium once since the book came out and that was we drove back down to la in august as a family uh and we i got a COVID test in the dodger stadium parking lot and mm -hmm. so that was my my <laughs> only experience since the book has come out uh it doesn't help like the dodgers don't acknowledge this stuff like they yeah, did they did you contact did they have do they ever even talk about it? Do they just pretend it didn't happen? Yeah, they pretend it didn't happen pretty much. Right. Like I I you know, I've covered the team like as a reporter right. a fair amount and I reached out when I was writing the book. They have a team historian, you know, I, and I they were just kind of like silent. Uh there was yeah. there was no appetite for it. Um I wish that would change. I think that it's we were like four ownership groups removed from the O'Malley's. Um we are decades removed from these events and the Dodgers could start to like reach out, you know, to the communities, uh, but they haven't. And I think that is unfortunate and says a lot about where the organization is. I actually, I will say I find, I mean, I'm a little surprised. I'm perhaps not surprised. I, if and I, maybe I, everything is just a public relations thing and just maybe the, the groundswell has not built up against it, but it feels like, I don't know, in the spirit of the age, I would put it that way. Like, it feels like something that there would there would be benefit for them because of it. 
Do you I, yeah, think so? I think so too. I mean, I think yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, got a couple of years ago, they had like Mexican American Appreciation Night on like the 50th anniversary of the violent televised evictions of the Arechiga family, right. which are like the climax right. of the book, like on the right. same night. Uh, like oh, they just not. are totally, <laughs> totally like oblivious to it. I, I don't really get it. I think there would be a lot of good PR in it for them at the very least. And that's not the reason they should do it. Um, right. And I should also say like, I'm not the one to be having these conversations. There's groups of people right. in LA who are descendants of these families, who are members of these families. One group called Buried Under the Blue. And they've talked about, you know, raising money uh, from the Dodgers and others to build community centers, uh, things like that. That would be great, uh, but it has not happened yet, um, and I'm not I'm not sure that it will. That it is it does does. Did you even hear like anything? I, I don't tell me the off the record conversations, but certainly it feels particularly as someone that's covered the team. Like I I would know who to call at the Dodgers to uh, talk uh, to ask about something if they had the public comment. Did they just ignore you entirely? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Well, um, we'll, we'll drop them a line today and see, <laughs> see what's going on over there. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the book itself. You, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people who have had books, uh, the book process, excuse me. Um, a few people have had books come out during the pandemic. Yours came out right at the, at the edge of it. I, my book comes out May 11th. So I'm already, you know, it's three months from, I guess a little under three months until uh, my book comes out. And already I've got all these plans. I'm, I'm aware that like the big book tour is not happening. Uh, no one's going to get vaccinated that fa- that quickly. But certainly I am. I can plan for the idea of this being in a pandemic. You, you know, you, this, this is something you're working up to a while and then right Two weeks out, uh, March 11th, uh, the 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 uh, Rudy Gobert, Sniffly Trump, and Tom Hanks evening happens. Um, being that close, what was that experience like, and uh, did you freak out? It was crazy. I mean, it was very surreal. Uh, I, I felt, I guess I freaked out a little bit. I didn't really know what was happening. I mean, there was a sort of like slow buildup leading up to March 11th. Like, there was some suspicion that things were going to go badly. Yeah. You know, I... I'd have a conversation with my wife. Like, I don't know if we're going to get to go on this trip. Like we had <laughs> right, right. planned to go to New York and Boston and make a family trip of it. And I was excited. My first book coming out, I get to, you know, go read in a bookstore and, you know, speak at the Brooklyn historical society, all this really yeah. cool stuff that I was going to get to do. Um, and see all my friends in the East coast who I haven't seen in years and all, all these things. And like, it just slowly kind of like slipped out of our hands. Mm-hmm. It felt like, uh, in this, inevitable way where you can't control it like water circling down the drain um and then it became this sort of existential dread like oh my god nobody's gonna buy a book right now bookstores are closed nobody cares baseball season's canceled the whole thing was pegged to baseball (laughs) season starting right uh like there was this real fear that it was gonna just completely bomb and I couldn't have even really been that mad about it. It would have been like, well, there's bigger problems in the world than my book not getting the reception. It really like, that would have been nice to get, you know, but, uh, I really like hustled a lot on social media, which is not my natural state. (laughs) And bookstores were really good about setting up zoom events and pivoting. Um, I I'm appreciative that the book, didn't quite bomb and my life turned into like one long like podcast zoom twitter <laughs> session for months right. and and honestly in in retrospect i think having to sell the book in the pandemic gave me a mental outlet that i probably needed uh for my own sanity in those first like three months 
Yeah, it's it's been funny to me because, you know, again, it's been 10 years since I had a book. And, I and, you know, I find myself like I've talked to our publicity people uh, for how lucky and, and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. <laughs> like we know how these Zoom events work and, and they really ha- kind of have it down. And as they pointed out, you know, actually people are actually uh, home a lot more to read <laughs> than, than they have been. They actually feel like the industry itself has been, I wouldn't say like it's exploded in popularity like exponentially since then, but it certainly hasn't been like an implosion to any stretch of the imagination. I have to say your book was – I mean, that's one of the things I reason I feel I feel so stupid that we're just now finally talking about because your book was everywhere there for a while, and maybe that was your hustle, maybe that was a, that was a social media thing. I still have not figured out. I've, I, I just social media is not my natural platform, <laughs> so like you know, I find myself trying to work myself up to it a little bit. But I wonder if that's right. Like, like did did, did you like meet with your publicity people uh, like after March seventh? Because you're right. That, that was I think I actually looked back and read like my columns for New York Magazine in the week before, being like. Hmm, sports is gonna like acknowledge this at some point, isn't it? And because it was really, I think there's this idea that because of the Gobert thing, sports was at the forefront of this. But people have been pushing them to like acknowledge this for a for a considerable amount of time. That was kind of the Gobert thing, right? Let's say I always find it funny that the one thing that all the sports leagues could agree on to handle the coronavirus was to push out the media. <laughs> that was yeah. the one thing they all put their their, their same thing on. I I, should, I suspect we should get used to that. But I I'm I'm curious like that that kind of idea. Did 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 you like meet with the publicity people and they just said, "Yep, you better start tweeting." <laughs> or what what exactly happened with that? It's really funny. Uh I we had, you know, made plans and done events and all that stuff and there wasn't really like a lot of talk about what it would look like without that. I had started tweeting beforehand a little bit, just thinking like I, so when I wrote the book, like I had been working as an editor at Vice for four years and then I left Vice to write the book. You know, I took a year uh, off from publishing or editing or anything. So I had like been editing and then I had been writing in the privacy of, you know, the garage for a year basically. And I had like not been on the internet really that much in that time. Uh, I hadn't been publishing that much, you know, at Vice I published some, but not as much as I had before. So like I felt like I didn't have an audience anymore, uh, and I needed to like reintroduce myself to people. So I started a newsletter, which is like now everybody has a mm-hmm. newsletter, and I started tweeting, and I think it helped. Uh, but then when the you know the events got canceled and everything moved online, then it really like really helped. I think I was better prepared for for that than I would have been otherwise. This is an excellent opportunity for me to plug your newsletter, which is terrific, by the way. It's called Sports Stories, sportsstories.substack.com. It is excellent. I really, really do love this. Actually, talk a little bit about the newsletter. I actually love your newsletter. I want you to sell out because you can probably do it better than me. Sure. So Sports Stories is literally, a, it's like a sports story every week. Uh, my friend Adam Villison, who is an illustrator, uh, he did the illustrations in Stealing Home, which are awesome. Uh, and I come together every week and we kind of find like an obscure historical story. He's really good at mining these. Uh, and he does original drawings and I write it up and we send it to your inbox. It's like pretty simple as a concept. Uh, and you know, this week we did a wrestling legend, uh, from Memphis named Sputnik Monroe, whose gimmick was that he was like kind of just like not racist as a white wrestler and made him a big heel. And he ended up like sort of like, playing this gimmick into being an actual champion of civil rights in Memphis in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, like, just these, like, kind of niche little sports stories that, that we tell, and I think I think they're pretty good. 
Yeah, it's a terrific newsletter. I, I recommend everybody subscribe to a terrific book. So I'm curious. This is a question that I ask everyone, uh, and I'm, I'm particularly interested with people that have kind of done it in the middle of this. Um, when you that exp- that first experience when you got the unboxing, this is your first book. So when that first unboxing uh, uh, happens, uh, I'm curious. What where were you? What was it like when you saw this thing in hardcover for the first time? Was it satisfying? Was it what you were hoping it was going to be? Oh, it was so satisfying. It was great. I mean, um, you know, opening the box up with my kids and like, there's my book, you know, like, uh, it's, it's surreal. Uh, just like, it was funny. It was, it was really pouring that, that week that it came and the books like were like a little bit waterlogged. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> this was like, this was at the time when I was like, Oh God, this is all gonna be a disaster. You know, it was February, <laughs> right. the, the, the <laughs> pandemic was creeping forward. Uh, there had been like a misprint with the galleys uh, a few months earlier, not to throw my publisher under the bus or anything, but so they had, they had to like reprint some galleys. And uh, so when the actual book came in and it was waterlogged, I was like, ah, I had this, this <laughs> fear, but like, it was just, you know, it was rainy as a cardboard box. Uh, and the books were great. Uh, they looked great. I could like hold them in my hands. You know, the Adam's art on the pages looked amazing. Uh, made it feel like a serious novel or something, which, it's definitely not, uh, but yeah, I it I don't know. Uh, I'm speechless talking about it now. <laughs> that's that's good. That's the plan. I, like that's that that's good. So I, I I miss this every time I tell the story. But like we had David Hill on, and David Hill like his was delayed because he was in a Brooklyn apartment, so he didn't get them for like two weeks, and he saw all these people seeing them on social media. I was like, oh man, that's that's so. These are the stories I'm looking for. <laughs> like the happiness I'm looking for. It's so funny, I, like... I'm realizing now. No, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say the whole like pandemic book publishing experience has been so weird like i i don't think i saw my book on a shelf in a bookstore in person until maybe it was november uh <laughs> when i walked into a bookstore and saw it like because you know we've been sitting at home and yeah, yeah. i and it was it was so cool like i was like oh my book's actually in a bookstore uh <laughs> but it took you know six months uh after it got published to get there and like i'd see people reading it or see pictures of other people who had seen it in bookstores and like, I want to see my book in a bookstore, but, but I got to, and now I'm, now I'm really happy. That's great, actually, because I almost am kind of assuming I'm not going to see to see my book in the bookstore. I, mean, I guess, I mean, maybe you know, the the local indie bookstore around here is still closed and seems like it's going to stay uh, closed for a while. So uh, I find myself uh, uh, eager for that experience because I I feel like that's something I might miss. My last question to you: um, What what did you do when the Dodgers won the World Series last year? I was just, I was happy, you know, I didn't really do anything. Uh, well, there's a pandemic. There's a pandemic, you know. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't run out to celebrate with Justin Turner as well. I did not run out to celebrate with Justin <laughs> Turner. Jeez. You know, I celebrated for about five minutes and then Justin Turner came back on the field and I was just like, oh yeah. my God. Uh, I, actually, I, I am curious about that. I, honestly, like I am, after waiting that long for the Dodgers to win the World Series and to see that as a celebration, did it, I'm sure it didn't ruin it, but it had to have undercut it somewhat. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, it was a bummer. It, the whole, I mean, the whole season was such a bummer. Like, let's be honest. Like, the Dodgers winning the World Series in Texas, not at Dodger Stadium, uh, was not how I would have wanted it to be. You know. That said, the Dodgers also waited until the year I published a book about the Dodgers to win the World Series. And as an author, I'm very appreciative of that. <laughs> That's very kind of you. It was. Kind of, yeah, that, that that was. I'm glad Justin Turner. Uh, and it's hard too because Justin Turner is like 
such a beloved Dodger, right? Like to me, that's one of the things too. It's not like, you know, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know who, but if like Trevor Manny Bauer. Ramirez. Yeah, <laughs> Trevor, yeah, yeah, yes, Trevor Bauer would be a good example. Or like, uh, not, obviously not uh, Manny Machado, the year that he was, uh, Manny Ramirez was beloved. Manny Machado, like the year where he kind of like, you know, I mean, he was good, but clearly he was a polarizing figure. Like everybody loves Justin Turner. And to see him do that, I wonder if that, that would have bothered, like if, like, again, as a Cardinal fan, if like Yachty ran out without a mask after testing positive, I feel like that would undercut it somewhat for me it did i mean and turner like is a sweet like nice guy too who's like he's beloved not because he's really good at baseball but because he's like a good community member he's a good interview he's he's fun uh so that that made it more frustrating and just like the whole chaotic aspect of nobody knowing what was happening i don't know and there was like a whole drama with it and that that drama definitely sucks some of the gravity out of the joy of them winning well, but not all of it, not all of it. And they did it to help promote your book. So that exactly. Was nice Which is really like what, like when Corey Seager gets on the field, he's thinking like, how can I help out Eric today? I assuming, I assume that that's why Bauer signed was to help out any further printings. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to help. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure Trevor Bauer is reading lots of history on, uh, on, uh, on, uh, on the history of Dodger Stadium. Uh, Eric, I, as, as obviously, uh, I love the book and I really, I'm really glad it's been able to, to, to get around a little bit. I'm sorry it took so long for us to do this for crying out loud, but no, uh, thank you for you know, doing it. And I'm excited to read how lucky. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's we are we are sending out. We have galleys. I got a big the big batch of galleys are starting to come out. I am doing the follow up with all the people that have been sent to the media. Uh, that the little follow up letter to be like, hello, you may have heard from my bubble. I'm sending that letter today. So uh, so we'll uh, in the first batch of those. So we'll see, we'll see. It's a it's been a long it's been a long time. So uh, uh, we'll see how it works. But um, mostly, uh, thank you for doing this with me, and thank you for writing a terrific book. And and I'm curious. I want to know actually when you go to Dodger Stadium next i actually do want to know and actually to to an actual game but you're not you're you're not you're you're in washington you're not you're you're not you're not running there anytime yeah soon. not anytime soon i mean i don't know if there's going to be fans at dodger stadium anytime yeah. soon yeah no, no it's going to be fine and everything's going to be fine in june there are no follow-up questions everything's going to be fine by may 11th um all right uh eric Nussbaum, the book is stealing home los angeles the dodgers and the lives caught in between thank you for your time sir continued great luck with everything and seriously congratulations on writing a writing a great book thank you all right, uh, we'll be back next week with someone who's not Eric, though I may. I actually enjoy enough talking to him now. I may come back and talk to him again if he has time. I'll probably wait, but eventually. All right, be safe, everyone. Bye. Bye.